Bill Verdon was a talented and graceful center fielder. Bill Verdon was a World Series champion. Bill Verdon was an accomplished major league manager. But Bill Verdon was something else entirely in my eyes. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Mr. Verdon passed away yesterday. His home in Springfield, Missouri. He was 90 years old. That is, as everyone says when you're talking about someone who makes it to that age a life well lived but it's multiplied many times over when it comes to Mr. Verdon his baseball achievements both as a player as a manager later on as a coach and instructor when he came home to the Pirates and also away from the field the kindest, gentlest soul you could want to meet. And that applied whether you knew him for 40 or 50 years the way his teammates did or if you were just someone in Bradenton waiting for an autograph for someone who maybe your father or grandfather would have appreciated and applauded earlier in life what got me always about Mr. Verdon in getting to know him principally in spring training as an instructor was that he was not one of those celebrity instructors who would show up and just kind of be a figurehead be someone who uh would be available to speak to the players about the great Pirates teams of the past. No, no, no. He was there to partake. He was there for the baseball. He was there to wear the uniform again. That's what this was about for him. There's been a triumvirate down there in Bradenton for a long time now of Bill Mazeroski, Manny Sanguian, and Mr. Verdon. And they would hang together whenever there weren't drills going on or whoever the manager was at the time would have the team doing something that didn't involve them. They would sit on these upturned white buckets And if you've been around a baseball field, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And they would tell stories, and they would not censor themselves in doing so. And if you were fortunate enough to be within earshot of these things, you found the experience to be infinitely more memorable than anything you were actually there to cover that day. But once the baseball got started... It was all about the baseball. Mr. Verdon was shagging fly balls 
into his 80s. That should be all I need to tell you about who he is and his passion for the game. But it won't be. Andrew McCutcheon, upon getting the news yesterday of Mr. Verdon's passing, tweeted out his own stories about how as old as Mr. Verdon was, that he would hit balls to him in the outfield until, and this is Kutch's wording, his body couldn't do it anymore. And then he would sit down on one of those white buckets and say, old age can kiss my, you know, backside. (laughs) And although I didn't see this specific scene, I could very much picture Mr. Verdon getting a laugh out of everyone around him. He was shagging. He was hitting fungos. He was active, vocal, and visible in the outfield into his 80s. And I'm here to tell you, as someone who wasn't fortunate enough to be alive when he was still playing for the Pirates, which he did through 1965. I was actually born the the year after that. What Mr. Verdon represented to me was the joy that one can and should experience later in their lives. He's always been that guy who was symbolic of that one thing for me. Because if he can do that, if he can be in that kind of extraordinary shape, and it's a different kind of extraordinary shape, into his 80s and he can be that healthy and do what he loves and wake up every morning with a smile on his face, that to me is a a rock star. That, That was the way I viewed him. On that count, more than anything else, he looked and felt to me as if he was invincible, as if he was doing things that, you know, normal people aren't meant to do. And he was doing them out of nothing but a positive, joyful vibe. Once more, doing the thing that he loved. The other thing that he loved, and this is within baseball still, was the Pirates. He became part of their uh, alumni community and a, a really prominent part of that, along with uh, people like Steve Blass, uh, the late Nellie Bryles. That stuff has been passed on uh, over the years, usually based on someone's health and standing. And even though he was associated with several different organizations over his baseball career, he always saw himself 
as a pirate, first and foremost. Didn't brag, didn't come close to bragging. Uh, when you'd bring up anything about the 1960 team, he would just look over at Maz and say, well, we're lucky he hit that home run. You know, that was that was about it, as if he had no contribution to having beaten those Yankees. And so it came that once he wasn't, finally wasn't, able to do everything that he wanted to do down in Bradenton, and he couldn't really move around all that much, away from the home in Springfield, Missouri, he would find a way every single time the Pirates were visiting Bush Stadium in the regular season to play the Cardinals, which, you know, being inside the Central Division was a lot. He was there. He was there. And this was at the time Clint Hurdle was managing. And Clint and his staff welcomed Verdon as if he'd been there all season coaching the team. And he would go into the assistant coach's room and get into full uniform, number 18, Verdon. Which Scott Bonnet Bones, the equipment manager, would have the full uniform ready for him. And it wasn't anything that they were doing, you know, uh, out of pity or anything like that, he would then go out and take the field. And he would go to you-know-where on the field. And he was so happy to see everyone. And he was back on the baseball field, and he was back in a Pirates uniform, and the man is now well into his 80s. And moving just great. And believe you me, some of those teams that I've covered going into Bush Stadium, I had more than a passing thought that he'd be an upgrade over some of what they were sending out onto the field. I'll miss Mr. Verdon. What I'll miss almost as much as his own presence is the connection the bridge. When you lose people who are part of a massive historic event, and let's never pretend that the city of Pittsburgh has had a bigger one than Maz's Homer in 1960 and that championship in general. When you lose them, a part of the bridge gets lost. A part of the connection gets lost. Can you picture what it's like for someone, whether it's a, you know a fan, whether it's an acquaintance, or whether it's a, you know a reporter like me, to be able to ask, "Hey, what was it like playing with Roberto Clemente? What was it like? What were your emotions when you watched?" Maz's ball sail over the wall. What was your emotions like when Hal Smith hit the ball the inning before? What was it like seeing the Yankees humbled? And you're asking someone who was there, who lived it, who experienced it in the closest, most intimate way possible. And 
They can write books. They can be part of documentaries. It's not the same. It's not the same. You lose that that link. And we're losing, naturally, more of them as time passes. But let the record show here that Mr. Verdon and a lot of these other champions, whether it's from 1960, 1971, or 1979, stayed close to the franchise because they remember that feeling and they value that connection and that link and they want to be part of it forever. And yes, they do want the team to succeed again someday. And that's also part of their motivation for having invested time that they didn't need to be putting in. I apologize for running a little long today. I want to extend uh, my own condolences to the Verdon family, to Mr. Verdon's friends, to Mr. Verdon's former teammates in the Pirates alumni, all the people who valued their time with him. And and uh, I'll be back with just one question. Time for just one question, and that's always brought to you on this program by the good people at the North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home to Steak on a Stone. It's home to the city's best sports bar environment, particularly when it's coupled with Mike's Beer Bar, the sister and companion venture right next door. Check out North Shore Tavern directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. Today's J1Q comes from Eric James, who says, DK, I'm aware of a Japanese report that says the Pirates are showing legitimate interest in Seiya Suzuki, one of the top free agent outfielders on the market. Is there a good way to quantify the return that a top international guy can bring as far as new audience slash team following and expanding the fan base. I've always been curious as to why more smaller revenue teams don't try to expand their base by uh, looking at the international market. What could a Suzuki or someone like a Shohei Otani, not comparing them, do for teams' reach and revenue? Um, I, I've always felt, first off, Eric, that this stuff is uh, overrated. I, I, I don't see the value that is specific to the Pittsburgh organization of getting a player. And I heard a lot of that at the time that Masumi Kawata was brought over. Now, he came at 40 years old. And it was a shell of what he'd been in Japan, which was a pretty much a, a living legend. 
in the game over there. So there were tons of eyes on, wow, he's finally going to make it to the majors. He's finally uh, you know, going over there to see what he can do to challenge himself. And if there's any residual impact to the Pirates from having done that, I, I didn't see it at the time and I don't see it now. Um, I don't believe you have an inroad in that regard. If any teams have an inroad with any players uh, from the Far East, it's going to be the ones that are the closest, meaning the ones that are on the West Coast, the Seattles and the uh, Los Angeles and the Anaheims and San Francisco. Why? A, they are closer physically. And B, because they're closer, they're going to have more of a community that that player will be able to relate to, whether they're from Japan, Korea, uh, wherever. And, and that's not going to be Pittsburgh now or 200 years from now. So I, I'm not really all that into that component of it. I will say that I'm intrigued that the Pirates would even show up in that report. Uh, that doesn't mean there's anything to it. The amount of money that it would take to bring Suzuki over in addition to paying the rights fee to his team, the uh, Hiroshima Carp, will be staggering and wouldn't be like anything that we associate with the Pirates. He's 27 years old, and he, you know, he's got the, the numbers to support that he could be a you know, pretty good hitter in the majors. Basically a 300 hitter with a 400 OBP and some pop to him. I mean, there's what's not to like. But whether or not that's something that can become practical or, or feasible or, you know, the report can just flat out be wrong, there's also that as well. So, uh, you know, we'll find out in short order. But uh, I think to, to waste a, a whole lot of energy thinking about it or, um, you know, much less uh, pondering, ooh, what would that be like? Well, the Pirates need outfielders. Uh, everybody knows that. The Pirates need lots of outfielders. But I, I yeah, <laughs> you can see I'm not going to get very far with this one. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. I apologize again for the the long opening segment. Uh, and I want to take this opportunity here uh, additionally to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. We won't have a show tomorrow, obviously. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, but to enjoy every moment with family and friends, that's what this holiday, maybe more than any other, is all about. Think about the good things. Think about the things that you're, you know, you're legitimately grateful for. Let's talk again Friday. Thank you.